The old school writer will concentrate on the peaks and the modern one will work on the valleys. He will use all the devices he knows to just barely touch on minor points so that the reader will have no trouble getting at the gist of the matter. It is not hard to find examples of this modern, casual style if you know where to look for it. A good place is the editorial page of a big newspaper. In the second or third column, after serious policy matters have been taken care of. Here is a typical item that shows well the difference between heavy scientific treatment and the light of hand manner. Boning up. There was a nostalgic little item in the New York newspaper the other day. One Dr. Harushian addressing a dental society meeting told how little capsules of pulverized beef bone swallowed three times a day for eight days had reduced the incidence of dental caries among a group of patients. Dr. Harushian seemed convinced that it is the fluorides in the beef bone that does the trick, but he admitted that it might also be the fluorides in combination with some other things. Though, of course, the good doctor didn't use such crude and unscientific language as that. What he actually said was that, quote, an optimal concentration of several factors in the bone material may be the most significant feature rather than fluoride alone, unquote. All the same, the hypothesis that the fluorides somehow encourage the tooth enamel to resist oral bacteria seems to have been pretty well established. Thus, bones from elderly cows rather than from calves or heifers are being used in the experiments since the bones of younger animals contains less of the stuff. End of excerpt. The casual style is also the standard formula for the back pages of the literary magazines. Here's a piece from the personal and otherwise column in Harper's. Begin of excerpt. The editors have recently learned that through a not-too-mysterious look in the magazine's business office, advanced proofs of Harper's have been finding their way to a remote army post in the Aleutians, where a young soldier puts them to good use in working up the post radio station's daily news broadcasts. He has quite a job getting material, but what with relayed ticker copy, Morse code news from the States, picked up by radio operators on the island and sent down to him by messenger, an early copy of Time and the advanced proofs of Harper's, he says he makes out pretty well. End of excerpt. Here you have most of the elements of good modern English in a nutshell. The free combination of short words instead of complex word formations, quote, puts them to good use in working, mo working up.
He has quite a job getting material, but what with? He says he makes out pretty well. Unquote. The word group nouns, quote, advanced proofs, army post, post radio station, news broadcasts, ticker copy, Morse code news, unquote. The quote-unquote conversational use of punctuation marks like hyphens and parentheses, and the casual touch, quote, not too mysterious, quite a job, what with this and that, he makes out pretty well, unquote. Now look through an issue of that sophisticated, masterly, casual magazine, The New Yorker. The talk of the town. President Roosevelt reported that the Dumberton Oaks people have agreed on 90% of the problems before them. A reporter at large. You'll see what I mean, the brigadier continued. For example, this opening of the road affair. The idea of the maneuver is that a regiment is going to open up some four miles of road for a truck convoy. Profiles Top commanders must always look at what military men are fond of calling the big picture. The theater As you may have read somewhere or other, the piece at the Belasco was adapted from a novel of the same name and by the same hand, which had Hell's own success with the ladies who haunt lending libraries. The current cinema. Quote, to have and have not. Unquote. The least known, probably, of recent Hemingway writings was one which contrasted certain drunks, cowards, millionaires, and neurotics in and around Key West with a tough and forthright fighting boat captain named name of Harry Morgan. The art galleries, the Newark Museum, being, after all, in Newark, is a little out of the way. Musical events, the Philharmonic Symphony, opened its 103rd season by featuring Bach and Beethoven before intermission time and serving up three first performances after the lobby chatter session. The face track. Aqueduct came through the hurricane much better than Belmont for, of course, there were practically no fine old trees to blow down. On and off the venue, avenue, there are deep V-neck cashmere cardigans which the figures of our more upholstered ladies cry out for. Books If this be treason by Margaret Eckerd Doubleday Doran, readers of current thrillers will not be surprised to find that a panic-stricken young woman, named, in this case, Penelope, is being followed up and down the West Coast by a mysterious stranger 
who wears a black patch over one eye, possibly to distinguish him from all the other men who are in pursuit of apprehensive young ladies these days. This particular couple end up in Oregon, near a prisoner-of-war camp full of Italians, where things get very tough indeed for Penelope, chiefly because she was once married to an Italian-American who dropped out of sight in Italy in the middle of the war. Some nice, shiny new Oregon scenery, but the rest is familiar material. End of excerpt. And now, for a perfect specimen of the casual style, let's see how the New Yorker presents Hungary in, quote, our own Baydecker, unquote. If you look up Hungary, say in the World Almanac, you will find, beginning of excerpt, Hungary for a thousand years has been the abode of the Bagyars, formerly a kingdom in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It was much reduced in size by the Treaty of Trianon, June 4, 1920, losing Transylvania to Romania, Croatia, Croatia, and Bachka to Yugoslavia, as well as Upper Hungary, i.e. Slovakia, Carpatho-Ruthenia, to Czechoslovakia, etc., etc. End of excerpt. In the New Yorker, the same facts are used for this. Begin of excerpt. The Hungarian language has given the English language very few words. In fact, all we can think of at the moment are Hussar and Shako. Gulash is a German corruption of Gulias, pronounced Guyash, which means cowboy, and by extension, the stew he cooks over his campfire in Nagy Alfold or Prairie. Hungary has some of those quaint Central European betrothal customs, for instance, when an unmarried girl goes into the fields with a lunch pail for a harvester, she offers him a vase filled with flowers and fruit, and if he accepts it and gives up a lump, gives her a lump of sugar, they're formally engaged. Practically every Hungarian woman you meet is named Ilona. Suffrage is extended to Hungarian women with rather elaborate restrictions. A woman may vote only if she's over 30, and then only if she has at least three children, or if she earns an income, or if she has a college degree, or if she's married to a man who has graduated from high school. One out of every four Hungarians is a Calvinist. Ministers of all denominations are paid by the government. The dominant race in Hungary is the Magyars, a determined people who kept the Holy Kingdom of Hungary geographically intact, except for one interval of 150 years, for a thousand years until, in 1920, two-thirds of it was broken up and parceled out among Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and Romania. The trouble with the Old Kingdom was that, besides Magyars, it contained Germans, Slovaks, Ruthenians, Serbs, Croatians, Jews, Dalmatians, 
Bosnians, and Illyrians, all of whom were firmly downtrodden by the Magyars. The new setup was 90% Magyar. Central European history and politics are hardly the thing to get started on. So we will simply say the Magyars' contribution to Europe in the Middle Ages was holding back the Turks for several hundred years. The Turks finally got in and dominated the region in and around Hungary for almost 200 years. And then the Austrians and Poles drove them out and the Austrians took over Hungary. Under the Habsburgs, there was a good deal of cloak and sword stuff which didn't concern us here. Since 1921, Hungary has been a monarchy with Admiral Horthy as regent and we needn't bother about him either. Hungarians are nuts for paprika, which they sprinkle on everything or eat just plain. Peasants carry wallets full of paprika just in case. Other Europeans laugh at the Hungarians because they eat corn on the cob. Another Hungarian delicacy is a stew made of blue trout from Lake Balanton, which is the largest body of fresh water in Central Europe. Budapest, as you doubtless know, is really two cities joined together by bridges over the Danube. Buda is the older, Pest the newer, and smarter. If you want to be fancy like a radio announcer, the proper pronunciation is Budapest. Budapest is a great place for boating and crew racing, and the waiters are polite there. Vilma Banki, Ferenc Molnar, Alexander Korda are Hungarians, and Houdini was of Hungarian descent. End of excerpt. Writing about factual material in this modern, casual fashion is a tough assignment. Just to see how it feels, try your hand at the following.